We're going through a verse-by-verse study of the book of Mark, and we're looking at who Jesus is through that. That's kind of the big theme, is Mark is presenting Christ, and he wants to show us who he is, and he makes a, a brief statement at the beginning of Mark where he tells us the purpose of the book, the gospel. He, he says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he's telling you who he thinks he is, and then he goes on to just list the things that happen, and he tries to put it in an order so that we understand what is happening. And Mark is writing this primarily to Gentiles, people that are uh, not Jewish by faith or by uh, people type, and he is speaking to them and trying to present Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So he's telling you who he is, but then he goes on just to list the things that are happening. And so we've been going through this verse by verse. I'm having fun. Hopefully you're having fun with it because it's teaching me and hopefully it's teaching you. Here's what I believe about scripture is whenever we read it, whenever we study it, it changes us from the inside out. A lot of the times uh, religion and organized uh, religion tries to adjust the outside of you and then work towards the inside. So you have a list of rules, you have a list of things that you must do in order to be in the right, to be correct with God. But the Gospels tell us something entirely different. They tell us that we have to get right with God And then he begins to do a work within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we receive him, and when we repent of our sins and our failings and our our mess-ups and whenever we've hurt someone else, when we repent of those things, Jesus sets us on a path with him like a disciple and we start to grow and, and we start to realize who we are in Christ. And instead of focusing on the do this, don't do this type of thing that a lot of churches or organizations want you to do, we start focusing on who Jesus is, and we allow Jesus to change us from the inside what? Out. So one thing that we've often said here is that we want God to speak to us, right? And then work through us, Spider-Man, right? I hit hit Stephen right in the eye with that. He speak to us, and, and that's what we believe Scripture can do, that God can speak to us. He, God can speak to us through uh, worship. God can speak to us through fellowship. God can speak to us through even our wives. How many of you know that's true, gentlemen? And wives, God can speak to you through your husbands. No amens. Come on, guys. Here's the reality is whenever we are looking for God to speak to us, we'll start seeing God speaking to us in a lot of different ways. I want to tell you a a real quick story I wasn't planning on telling you because it didn't happen until this morning. Uh, the, The older I get, the weirder I get in some areas. Anyone with me? So I cannot imagine what I'm going to be like when I'm 80. Uh, But I'm becoming more sensitive in some ways, to life. I, I don't know how to explain that. Uh, but when I see 
animals suffering, it hurts me more than it used to. When I see uh, people suffering, it hurts me more than I used, it used to. I have bushes in front of my house, and I'm trying to figure out how to pull them out without killing them so I can replant them somewhere because I don't want to kill them. And I, I don't know, maybe part of that is because like, I've researched even uh, plants and stuff, and I know that they have like networks of systems, and they communicate in different ways. It's very strange science, but it's true. Uh, so I, I think about those things. Well, we were over here near the, the coffee and the donuts area. Praise the Lord for those. And I heard a and something had hit the glass. I thought, well, what was that? And I looked down, and there is a little beautiful hummingbird that isn't moving. And I was like, oh, this is not how I wanted the Sunday to start. And it had, you know, beautiful colors on it. And it, how many of you like hummingbirds? I just, those are like the coolest little things. It's, it's crazy that all they get to eat is sugar, and that's healthy for them. It's like a goal of mine to be like that. It's a bad goal. But yeah, it's laying there, and I was like, oh, no, it's dead. And then it started to, like, twitch, and I go, oh, it's really dead. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Greg's going to help me tell the story. And, and so I, I'm looking at it, and it's just a beautiful little bird, and I'm thinking, you know, God made this, and I don't want to, you know, to die. I wish I could just go help it, but I can't touch it, you know, probably crush it. And uh, it, it opened its eyes. And I thought, well, hopefully, like, it didn't hurt its brain so much that it can't think. And then it started moving, and uh, I stood guard at the door, because I didn't want anyone to walk in or out and hurt it. And I'm just saying, oh, Lord, help this thing to, to fly away and be well. It did. It flew away. And I was so happy. <laughs> Probably even happier than I'm going to be when I'm eating tacos. But, like, I love hummingbirds. They're just such a neat little... And I'm like, where did, why am I so sentimental when it comes to those things? I, it's, it's weird. It's also weird to be admitting this to you. But it, I was in here, and I'm just getting ready to step up, and I thought of it. And I was like, you know what? That's God's creation. God made that. And if he cares about the number of hairs on our heads, and if he cares about a sparrow that falls from the sky, then he cares about that little hummingbird, right? Like, all life is important. And it... It's interesting because I know we focus gospel a lot on ourselves, but when we look at gospel and the Bible as a whole, God is going to restore all things. All things. Like he's got, there's going to be animals in heaven. There's going to be amazing trees, and there's going to be maybe animals that became extinct and we didn't even know about. And there's going to be all of these things that he restores. So uh, caring for creation and loving God's creation is loving God in itself. I think that's important. So when we, when we break out of the shell of, of just thinking of the do's and don'ts of God's word, and we start like applying it into our hearts and our lives, and we allow it to change us and maybe make us more sensitive and weird in some ways to some things that God is doing, then we can look for God in every situation. Like, I'm thankful to God that that bird seems to be okay. It flew away. Praise the Lord. It made my day a little bit brighter. I'm, I'm telling you, I was sad. That's weird, huh? But I think maybe when you've been around death as much as I have, we just had a funeral here uh, on Saturday, and when you make hospital visits and you, and you walk with people and you see that, it, it starts to wear on you if you're real. Because even within the gospel, we see Jesus crying when his friend dies. 
He knows his friend's going to be with him in all eternity, but you see, you see that Jesus is sad when others are suffering. He, he has pity on them, it says. And that's not just like, oh, I feel bad. No, it's, it's like changing who he is. It's adjusting who he is. He, he is. He is relating with people, and he's feeling their pain. He's feeling the difficulty that they're going through. I think that's important for us as believers to realize when we're reading Scripture, it's not just... It's not just a book that we believe, it is that, but it is also something we're supposed to apply to our life, and it's supposed to change us and make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And that doesn't always look like, you know, up and to the right, like we're just, yeah, we're just taking off like a jet airplane. Sometimes it means that we're wandering around and we get things wrong, and then he picks us back up and he puts us on the right path. That's the Jesus that loves me. That's the Jesus that loves you. And that's the Jesus that we need. Amen? So when we have a rough time, we can go to that Jesus. I think too often we think of God as somebody who is standing there with a giant white beard and the Ten Commandments he wants to break over our heads. And that's not really what's happening. He sends us his son, Jesus Christ, to live this life and to die on our behalf. And when we look at the Jesus of the gospel, we see a man who loves. And even when we look at scripture, we see that God is what? Love. So we're going to look at, at some of the things that that are standing in opposition to Jesus as we look at this. So Mark chapter 2, verse 18. I am thankful for God's word. It has the ability to change us. It's going to change us this morning. Amen? How many of you believe that? It's going to change us for the better. It's going to help us see ourselves more clearly and help us see God. Verse 18. It says, Now John's disciples... So remember, John the baptizer, he, he's baptizing people and people are following him. Some of the disciples uh, hive over to Jesus because they realize that this is uh, going to be the rabbi, the Messiah possibly. So they're moving over to Jesus. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So what does it mean to fast? It means to go without. So sometimes you can uh, fast a meal. Uh, sometimes you can fast for a whole day. Some people have fasted for a week. Jesus, it says in the Gospels, fasted for 40 days. So people fast in order to spend that time where they'd be eating or preparing food to pray. And then also it's a way of breaking down uh, the body and some of the constraints that we have because how many of you know that food has a strong pull on you? It's a little bit emotional. Anyone get emotional around eating? No? Yeah? Some of you, when you have a bad day, you go to this food or that food. Or uh, I will think, just think about hot wings, and I'll start sweating. It's bizarre. But when I eat spicy food, I sweat, and I love spicy food. So uh, they ask him this question, hey, you know, everyone else is fasting. Why aren't you fasting? And if you look at the historical Pharisees, here's, here's how they fasted. They would fast at least two days a week in order to remain holy and pure. They would fast on uh, Mondays and on Thursdays. They did this religiously. They would do this. In fact, they would even let everyone else know that they were doing it. Jesus talks about that later. We're not going to get into that right now, but they would make a show of it. Oh, I can't eat. I'm fasting. 
And, and, and they would try to do this, and probably a lot of them had a good heart when it came to it. And it seems that John's disciples are possibly doing the same thing. Also, uh, the Jews would fast, just normal Jewish people would fast when they were trying to seek an answer of God or try to gain his favor. So when they were getting really serious about something that was going on, they would fast. They would fast. So the question is, hey, we look at you, Jesus, and if you're supposed to be this great rabbi, and if you have these disciples, uh, why aren't they fasting when we are fasting? How many of you have had a brother or sister rat you out? They're like, hey, why aren't you doing this? Why? uh, That's not fair, Jesus. You guys are all eating all the time, and we have to fast. So they're asking this question. And Jesus said to them, He starts talking to them about a party. He said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? How many of you have gone to a wedding party before and decided, I'm just going to refrain from eating anything? He's saying, no, that's that's nuts. Like, all the best food's there. Everything is great there. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It would be rude. It would be rude not to eat the food that was presented to you. Verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So who's the bridegroom? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's come, and he's saying, look, it's not that time right now. And later on in the Gospels, and then also, not so much in the Gospels, but in the book of Acts, you see that the disciples start to fast. You see that they they begin doing this. So fasting, even for us, is probably a good thing to do. I think everyone should do it occasionally. I think you should try it. Uh, you know, maybe you start with one meal. You go, you know, Lord, I'm going to give you my lunch hour this week. I'm going to just pray uh, during that time and see if God starts to do a work within you. It's not bad to fast. It is rough if you start trying to apply what God is calling you to do to someone else. You with me? Here's how I view it. It says all throughout scripture that we are the Lord's servants. That we are in service to him, but then we're also not able to call judgment upon God's servants. So he's in charge of the other ones. We are in charge of ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't try to help each other out. If we're in relationship, we can even correct and instruct each other. But this is what we're called to do. We're called to take care of ourselves. So Jesus begins explaining this. He says, look, I'm with them right now. This is, this is the feast that we're taking a part of right now. And he's speaking I think more spiritually than he is just physically. He's talking about the knowledge that he's imparting to them, the wisdom that he's imparting to them, and also the soul work that he's doing on these disciples. He says this, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. For no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, that patch tears away from him. I don't know about that. I don't do a whole lot of sewing, but it sounds right to me. (laughs) The new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for what? Fresh wineskins. He says, look, I'm doing a new thing. We can't put the new thing into the old thing and expect them both to work. It doesn't go that way. 
And so he's trying to explain to the Pharisees exactly what's going on, and they probably have a better understanding, as probably some of them made their own wine. But when you ferment something like that, it creates pressure. And if you have something that's brittle in the wine skin, if you have brittle skin, it will eventually what? <laughs> Rupture. I've, I've seen videos, uh, I saw a video this last week, of a guy that was making kombucha, I think that's how you say it, and he made his own, and his wife was like, you probably shouldn't open that up in the house. And he's like, no, it's fine, it's just a little bit carbonated, and he had a glass bottle, and he popped the top off, and it shot 12 feet up in the air, and just everywhere, and then they started screaming about the smell that was on it, because it smelled like rotten stuff. He didn't probably make it right. But it exploded. And there's people that uh, do uh, brewing and with, with beers and things like that. And it carbonates itself. The sugars get eaten up. The yeast eats it. And there creates a, well, it's actually the yeast making little fart bubbles in there, which is kind of gross. But it does that, and it creates pressure within it. And then it can what? <sighs> can explode. If you don't take care of it the right way, if you don't know what you're doing, you can mess it up. You can make it bad. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, the, if, if we take my teaching and we try to put it into the old stuff, if we just try to combine the two in some way, it's going to create a mess. It's going to create a problem. He said, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm here to do. And so they, he kind of explains that. And I don't know quite how the Pharisees take it, but we get another story that occurs where he's running into the Pharisees again. It says, verse 23, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads off the grain. And the Pharisees were saying to them, look. Everyone say, look. It was probably like, look. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? Look, what are you doing? You ever been at a church that did that? No, never here. Uh, we... I was part of a church, and a uh, young lady came back to the church after not being there for six or seven years. And I thought, wow, she came back, and her mom was still attending this church. And I thought, you know, oh, praise the Lord. You know, maybe she's going to, uh, you know, start attending. Maybe she's going to try to get closer to Christ. You know, maybe something good is going to happen out of this. And... She was approached by somebody, I found this out afterwards, and they were upset with her because they thought her skirt was too short. And maybe it was, but is that the right time and place? No. What was the purpose of her going there? Her, the purpose was maybe to going, hopefully, to meet Jesus, right? Hopefully she's going, hopefully you're coming to church to meet Jesus in some way, we're not here to try to judge and make everyone on the outward look right before their inward is changed. The only way this can happen is if God starts to clean your heart, and then you start saying, oh, I'm going to make some changes on my own. We're not called to judge the people that walk through the door. That's God's job. You with me? Now, if she's a, a believer in Christ and she's growing in Christ, we can talk about modesty eventually, but that's not the time. And you know what? She never came back in the door when I was there after that. Why? Because she was judged. She was judged. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. They're, they're, they're trying to make sure their, their I's are dotted and their T's are crossed. And they're losing the whole focus of God. Because they even knew that God was love. God is love. God is love. 
So the truth is some of us come in and it's very apparent what we're struggling with. You know, we've had people come in with drug addictions and, and the smell of alcohol on them and everything else. And, and, and we can focus on that negative part or we can say, praise the Lord, they're here. Hopefully they change because they meet Jesus. I, you, can't, you can't flip it the other way around. You cannot paint the outside of yourself and expect your heart to change to it. That's not how it works. You can't get all dolled up, put the right things together, do all the right rules, and then receive grace. That's not how it works. Jesus brings us grace first, and we receive that. And then the Holy Spirit begins to do the work within us to change us. He begins to soften our hearts. He begins to show us what's right and what's wrong. And we have to be sensitive to that, but we also have to realize that is the work that he's going to do in others. We have to allow Jesus to do the work. So the Pharisees don't see it that way. Remember, we talked about the scribes last week, and the scribes were kind of like the law officers of the church. They were walking around making sure the rabbis were doing all the right things and none of the wrong things. And they were there to make sure everything was done the right way. They were focused on the rules instead of focused on the God. Are you with me? And this is, this is my problem, too. I can get so, like bogged down in, in my own traditions that I make. Well, I, I read the Bible at this time, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And I can neglect, I can neglect the reason why. How many of you have forgotten why sometimes you're doing something? Like, well, why do I pray before bed? Or why do I pray before my meal? Or why? We need to stop just for a second and say, wow, I get to do this. You know, wow, I get to come to church. It's not just something I do just because it's Sunday. I get to participate with other believers. I get to do this thing. And then we, we, we speak and we get to communicate with a holy God. And, and how awesome is that? Instead of, instead of just going through the motions, sometimes I think that we ourselves create these things in our life that are maybe good habits, but we don't focus enough on why we're doing it or think about what we're doing. So, so the Pharisees are, are saying, look, it's, it's not lawful. You know, why aren't they fasting? And all, all of a sudden, now they're, they're eating off the edges of the field. They're allowed to do that. But they're doing it on what? The Sabbath. They're doing it on the Sabbath. And he said to them, this is what Jesus says, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with, were with him how he entered the house of God in the time of Bethar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made not for man, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Even for the Sabbath, God is in charge, right? So there were these rules within the temple. They would have the bread, and they would have that uh, presented before there. And there was some that would be burned up, and there was some that would be there in the presence uh, of God, essentially. And, and then when it was time for that to be switched out, the, the priest would be able to eat it. But if anyone else ate it, they could, they could die. They could be in big trouble. They could be stoned if they were found out. And David comes before them and asks them if he can have this. In Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, it talks about that. So if you want to jot down that verse, it's Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. It talks about this bread. It says, you shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. 
two-tenths of an ephah, and shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron, who is a priest, shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever, as like a contract, as an agreement. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. So this is you know, one of the ways that they were eating. They would also eat the meat and different stuff, but this was not touchable for anybody else except for the priests and their families. You weren't supposed to do this. And in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verse 1, uh, we see the story that is mentioned by Jesus. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, and to him, I cannot say that, Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Mr. A, the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know about anything of the matter about which I send you, with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young man for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Yea, we're all hungry. Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, so I don't have anything. But there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly, uh, women have been kept from us, as always, when we're going on an expedition, when we're on fight. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. So the priest, verse 6, says, the, so the priest gave him the holy bread. There was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. So you see that the rules were bent a little bit. You see that? And it's, it's written down, it's talked about, and Jesus makes reference to it. Because what he's saying is, you guys realize that the whole reason we have the Sabbath is for you. It's not so that you have to bend to the Sabbath. It's so that the Sabbath can restore you. How many of you have gone weeks and weeks without a vacation before, without a vacation day like a Saturday? You know, you know what I'm talking about, like without a day off. How wearing is that? God did not make you, he did not make me, to be a machine that never turns off. He made it so that we have to have rest sometimes. We have to have restoration sometimes. We have to recoup and people do better when they have at least one day off a week. And they were kind of reversing it. They were making that day a burden in some ways. So Jesus is saying, hey, hey, don't you realize that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath? The reason that we're here isn't so that we can have a Sabbath. The reason that the Sabbath is there is so that we have a time to reflect on who God is and we have a time to recharge our batteries so the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. So Jesus is basically saying, if it's all right with me, then it's what? It's all right. It's all right. If it's all right with me, it's all right. It's, it's interesting. Uh, when we don't talk a whole lot about the Sabbath and, and what that means, but there was whole procedures around it. You could only walk a certain distance within uh, that day. You could, uh, you could not 
you do, weren't able to do any labor, so you wouldn't be able to bake bread. You wouldn't be able to uh, make things with your hands. So the reason that the Pharisees are upset is because the disciples are doing work in order to eat. So it wasn't that they were eating. It was that they were moving, removing the grain heads, and this is considered work. So you weren't able to do a lot of the things you would normally able to do. Right? So here, here's another interesting thing. Within uh, Jewish homes that still celebrate Shabbat or Sabbath, they have rules. And some of those rules can be like, you cannot turn on or off the light switch because that's work. Now, some of you guys are thinking, this is a dream. Think about it. It's, it's kind of difficult. Like, if they have their lights on during the night, which they probably do, they have to leave that light on the whole time. Now, these are the people that are really trying to follow this to the fullest extent possible. If if you have food, it has to be prepared before sundown because Sabbath isn't when the morning starts. It's when the sun goes down. So Friday evening, the sun goes down, Shabbat, Sabbath starts, and now they have to do this. But, but there's some really amazing things mixed in with these rules. They have an elaborate meal that's prepared that's supposed to remind them of who God is. And they also have all of these things set up to reflect on how God has blessed them, how God has blessed them with their spouse, how God has blessed them with each other, and how God is providing for them. In fact, the very act of Sabbath is saying, Lord, we believe that we can work six days and give you one of our days. We can tithe one of those days, and we'll still be blessed and have enough food to, to live. That's what they're believing. So they're doing this in faith. There's a lot of good things involved with this. It's a reset for the family. It points everything back to God and says, hey, we're not, just, we're not living our life to make money. We're not living our life to have material goods. We are living our life to focus on God. And the very act of Sabbath is pointing to the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. And it, so it points forward, but it also points backwards to creation because God created everything, and then he what? He rested. So he's saying, hey, this is good. This is what you should do. And this is what he's calling the, uh, you know, all these people to do. And so they have all these rules and regulations that the Pharisees make around it to, to try to keep it straight, to try to keep it holy, to try to keep it, and remember, holy means set apart for the purpose of God. They're trying to do the right thing. But in so much of trying to do the right thing, they overdo it. Have you ever done that before? There are times in, in my parenting where I'm not perfect. Why are you guys laughing? should be surprised. <gasps> really? No. How many of you would admit that there are times that you didn't know what you were doing and you messed up a little bit? Yeah. This, this happens. This happens. And, and so we have to realize that, uh, you know, there are times where I have to go to my kids and I have to apologize. And, and there are times where I'm too harsh with the rules, like, because I'm trying to keep something, and I'm like, you know what, that doesn't matter, I need to focus on my kid, I've, I've hurt, I've just, in, you know, with my words, and with my attitude, I've, I've hurt my child, and I want to restore that, I, I want to say I'm sorry, so I'll say, I say sorry to my kids sometimes, when I don't do, or handle it right, I'll say, you know, I, I was wrong, uh, I should have done this differently, sometimes, we can be so focused on the rules and keeping things right that we forget the reason why. I can be so focused on keeping the house clean or keeping this or that clean that I forget the whole reason I have the house is so that my kids have a place to live. 
And, and so I, I want it to be a blessing to them. I don't want it to be a burden to them. And this is why God gives us the Sabbath. This is why God gives us good things. It's not to be a burden to you. It's to be a what? A blessing. But so if we focus on the wrong thing, we can turn the blessing into a burden. We can do that. Uh, the Bible says that children are a blessing from who? The Lord. Do they sometimes feel like a burden? Sometimes. Sometimes. Are we supposed to be focused on that? Is that what we're looking at? No. We're supposed to look at how they are a blessing. You are a blessing from the Lord. The church is a blessing from the Lord. That doesn't mean there isn't work involved, but it is. It's a blessing. So uh, they celebrated this. I have a, a short video I want to show you, if, if that works. We'll see if, if uh, Aiden can, can roll that, where it presents to you a little bit of what a modern Sabbath meal would look like. Do you have that, Aiden? It isn't there. I'll show it to you next week. You with me? So apparently it deleted itself. How many of you just love technology? It's a burden. <laughs> it's a blessing, though. <laughs> yeah, it is a blessing. I, I've seen a few listening. Thank you. All right, so we have all of these different rules, even within our church and, and outside of it. And, and the rules are there. They're, they're there, and sometimes they can get in the way. And as I said at the very beginning, God wants us, not our rule following. Think about this. God wants your heart God wants your heart, not your perfection. You could, you could do everything right and still be wrong with God. You, you with me? Yeah, yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? You could do all of the right things in obedience, but you could be not in relationship with him. You could have all of the religion, but none of the Jesus. And we need Jesus. That's what we really need. If I can send somebody to go uh, get the kids to come back in, we are going to uh, celebrate communion in a few moments. And uh, we want to bring the kids back in. One of the things that you see when you really look at Sabbath, and uh, especially when you look at the Passover meal, is you see there's a connection between the Sabbath, Passover, and the coming of Christ and salvation. And then you combine that and you see that even communion that Jesus broke bread with the disciples before he was put on the cross, that there is a restoration that's occurring, that Jesus is starting to make all things right and new. Here's the thing. God doesn't fix us up on the outside first. What he does is start to do some soul work within us. How many of you are thankful that God does soul work? He does that. He starts to knit you together. He starts to fix you from the inside out. We need to remember that God doesn't look upon the outward. He looks upon what? What's inside. He looks upon our mind, our heart, sees where we are. 